Hey, good morning, everybody. It is super to see you this morning, and uh, we wrapped up Colossians last weekend. I admit I was very, very disappointed not to be able to preach that last message after working on it all week, but I was thrilled at the job that Pastor David did with it, and how, as only he can do, he turned it into a sermon full of great illustrations about football, right? (laughs) So... How fun was that? So great job, David, and super job, the rest of the preaching team, Reg and Caleb and Tom as well, for taking us through a fantastic study of the book of Colossians. Well, this weekend is a unique weekend for us here at Lake City. We call it Vision Weekend. It's our annual meeting weekend. Once a year, we take the time to review the past year, to give God praise, give him glory for what he's done, and also to look ahead a little bit. And honestly, we have a lot of great things to celebrate as a church family right now. If you're a guest, this is a little bit today about who we are and what God's been doing and where we're heading as a church family. Now, I want to make one thing super clear as we begin. The purpose of all of this is to glorify God. We aren't here to take credit. We're not here to pat ourselves on the back. We recognize that anything good that's taken place this past year is in spite of us, not because of us. It is God's grace, and it is through his power at work in us. So one of the things that I want to highlight today is that how God delights to work in weak and foolish things in the world to display his glory. It's not because of us, it's in spite of us. It's because of his grace and through his power that we get to be involved at all in what he's doing in the world. Amen? So if you have a Bible, join me in John chapter 6. Please open it up or turn it on to John 6. And uh, I'm going to explain something in terms of the context. We'll get to the sermon notes in a bit, but you'll uh, do well to find those or turn those on at this time too. But John 6 is the foundation of what I want to say today about vision. There's seven signs in John, seven miracles that the Apostle John records in his gospel, and each one of them displays a unique aspect of Jesus' power. And each one of them, he tells us at the end of the gospel, is to help us is so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, John was one of our Lord's best friends, and he wrote these seven, about these seven miracles in his gospel. I want you to just follow along and listen now as I read John 6, 1 to 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. 
Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Please pray with me. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and you have revealed yourself and your glory to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus, who we just read about here. And Lord, we ask that you'd open our hearts and our eyes to see him more clearly today. We thank you for your faithfulness as we celebrate that today. Fill us with your joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes this morning, I invite you to jot this down, something like this. When you put what you have into your hands, in this case, five loaves and two fish, when you put what you have into you, in your hands into the hands of God, five plus two no longer equals seven. When you add God to the equation, five plus two equals 5,000, remainder 12. There's more left over than when they started. It doesn't add up, but that's what a miracle is. And let me say this up front. You know, we all want a miracle. We just don't want to be in the place where we have to have one. But you can't have one without the other. So let's go back to verse 5, John 6, 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. If you grew up between 1963 and 1997, you heard this message more than once. This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. Isn't it interesting, though, how God also tests us? He tests our faith. And there's an amazing story back in Genesis 22 that begins like this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, after what things? Do you remember? Well, after decades of Abraham and Sarah waiting to be given a son, the son of promise, God tested Abraham to see if he would obey him. He told him to give up his son Isaac as an offering back to God. It was a test. It was an opportunity for Abraham to grow in his faith. And God allows things in order to test us and to examine us and to grow our faith. Now, we tend to think of tests sometimes in negative terms, but that's how you pass the class. That's how you graduate to the next grade. 
That's how some of you got licensed to practice medicine or fly a plane or advance in uh, your uh, service and your job. You have to pass a test. It was a test that validated what you learned or what you know. And God will often test us to graduate us to the next grade of faith. The message paraphrase translates it this way. Jesus said this to stretch Philip's faith. I like that. Isn't that what a good teacher does? Isn't that what a good coach does or a good pastor? They push us a little and test us and stretch us. And as I look back on my own spiritual journey, there are seasons and there are experiences in my own life that I would like to have avoided. But I look back on those situations today and I see how God used them to stretch my faith and to develop my character. And so Jesus said to Philip, Philip, where are we to buy bread for all these people? Listen to his reply, verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. I love Philip. You can just sort of see him doing the math in his head, and it's not adding up. We can't afford to feed 5,000 people, Lord. Not even a little. And here's what I know about God-sized dreams. They will always feel beyond your ability. They will always be beyond our resources. In other words, they test our faith. You can't do it, but God can. And that's how he gets the glory. He does things that we can't take the credit for. So I'm going to just stop right there, and I think we need to celebrate a little bit and give him the glory. We're going to talk about some names and places and numbers, but these are things that he gets the glory for because only he can do that. Listen, whatever we don't turn into praise can turn into pride. And so I'm going to say some numbers. I'm going to give you some numbers, but I want you to realize that every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story, every person matters to God. So I remember when we had the discussion 12, 13 years ago, early on in Pastor Reg's time here as our adult ministries pastor, what's the difference between being a church with small groups and being a church of small groups? Some of you remember that, okay? And the elders and the pastors met and we prayed about what kind of church do we feel God wants us to be and what kind of church to become. And we said, we believe God wants us to become a church of small groups that they are foundational to who we are and how we grow. And today, roughly half of the adults that attend Lake City are in some kind of small group or relational environment. That's about 400 adults who meet each week in some 33 small groups, including Reengage, by the way. And so I want to thank Pastor Reg, I want to thank Pastor David and all of our small group coaches and small group leaders for the awesome job that you are doing shepherding our church family and making disciples. Thank you so much. But you know, when we started that journey 12 or 13 years ago, if we had said back then, you know, we need to find a way to have 400 people in small groups, we would have probably thrown up our hands and said, that's impossible. But that's five 
plus 2 equals 5,000, remainder 12. Our worship team leads us creatively each and every week in all of our services. They even go down to Cannon Beach like they did this past week each summer, and they lead worship down there for one of the conferences at the conference center. In fact, they've been asked to come down and lead even more weeks, and uh, some of our speakers who fell in love with them have asked them to go on tour with them. I heard that story this week, so uh, thankfully... uh, Mark and the team down there said, no, we, we, we're committed to leading our own church family. So thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> and I just want to thank Mark and JD and, and the 70 volunteers who make up our worship arts team because week in and week out, you do such an amazing job leading us right into the presence of the Lord and inspiring our worship. Thank you. Our youth, our student ministries under Pastor Caleb and Dan Livingston's leadership are growing. They're in a very good place. In fact, 30 of them are on their way today to Montana. Yeah. They're going to Montana right now to serve the Blackfoot Indians and to help our students catch a vision for what it means to love Jesus and serve others. That's making disciples. That's 5 plus 2 equals 5,000, remainder 12. Children Ministries is rocking and rolling. Agape Land and Promised Land and Awana. <laughs> Good job, Abby. So, <laughs> I love our children's ministries and what they do. And I just got done reading through the annual reports and going to the Awana Awards program recently. And it is amazing to see all of the students, all of the kids growing in their faith, Four students who trusted Christ this past year in our children's ministry. So well done, Nikki and uh, Crystal and Johnson's and Egrin's. Thank you for your work with our students. Amen. Amen. Our food bank is amazing too. Every Thursday our food bank meets and feeds the community about us. And I'm sure every week Lucy and her team feel just like the disciples. Lord, how are we going to feed all these people? I've heard them say that. Well, kind of something like that, okay? But God provides, and many times it's you are the hands and the feet of God that provides the food to do that. So this last year, listen, our food bank served over 5,000 households, more than 323,000 pounds of food, involving 1,884 volunteers and over 7,000 volunteer hours. That's... 5 plus 2 equals 5,000, remainder 12. Read the story about that in the annual report. Women's ministry. I've been hearing such fun things about women's ministry, the retreat recently, and the Bible studies this past year. I got a, got a little email from uh, Debbie Lee this week. It said, Pastor, more than 100 ladies signed up for our women's Bible studies this summer. We had to move them into the gym so we had room for all the ladies. So how cool is that? Huh? Yeah. What an evidence of a hunger for the word of God and a hunger to connect with other ladies. So, well done, ladies. And then there's our missions team. Lake City sent four teams of 15 people to Malawi this past year. Malawi is just one of 30 mission outposts that we support both in Lakewood and all over the world. In fact, we sent a total of six short-term mission teams this past year with over 23 people on them to Malawi and Uganda and Dagestan. And that doesn't include the 30 students, our high school students that went to Montana last summer or the ones that are there right now. But you know, if if 95 years ago, the folks who started Lake City Community Church 
had dreamed about having that kind of missionary outreach, I think they would have said, you know, that sounds impossible. Think about that. How can we ever feed so many people? Again, it's 5 plus 2 equals 5,000, remainder 12. We also rejoice in 18 salvation decisions that we have been told about this past year here at Lake City. 18 people who decided to follow Christ as their Savior. Amen. And then last but not least, we baptized 28 people in our church family this past year. And again, and again, every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every one of those people matters to God. Every one. Just for fun, I asked our worship arts team to put together a little baptism highlight video to put, a, put some faces to the names and numbers. So here's a 60-second review of the baptisms we celebrated this past year. Please enjoy. of us, with all of our weaknesses and failures and faults, God continues to do amazing things through this little community church that you almost have to have a miracle just to find. That's what people tell me. I stumbled on your church accidentally because it's not really on a major street. Wouldn't you agree that God has a sense of humor? So I look at all of this and I'm thinking, you know, how in the world does this happen? I'll tell you how that happened. You put your five loaves and your two fish into God's hands, and you said, here you go, Lord. And you put your time and your talents and your treasure into God's hands, and you said, God, this is all I have, but take it and use it for your glory. Let's go back to John. John 6, 8 is where I'm going to pick it up, and this is what we read there. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Almost sounds like uh, Andrew's volunteering, this little boy. In fact, I think he was. But the math wasn't adding up. So my daughter Bethlehem is taking this online pre-algebra class right now. And we've had, let's just say we've had a lot of time fellowshipping over math the last six weeks. <laughs> and there comes a time in every parent's life when they're doing math with their kids they should no longer be doing. That's where I am. What I'm learning is that they don't even teach it the same way they taught it when I was taking it. But that's only part of the problem. The rest of the story is that I've forgotten the principles of algebra. I'm having to Google all these terms that I forgot what they mean in the principles. Uh, 
And when you forget the principles of math or when you forget the promises of Scripture, you have no way of making sense of life. It doesn't add up. And so here's Jesus teaching kingdom math. Kingdom math patiently to his disciples. Listen, guys, five loaves. Go ahead and count them. Here's two fish. This equals dinner for 5,000 with 12 doggy bags left over. And the disciples are sort of scratching their heads. He might as well have been trying to explain algebra to them. It doesn't make sense. So let me tell you the key to this equation, all right? The key to this whole equation and the key to your life and mine is putting what we have back into the hands of God. Putting our time and our talents and our treasure into God's hands. <clears throat> Listen, when, when you tithe, you're putting your finances into his hands and God has a way of doing something beyond your resources and mine. When you serve, you're putting your time and your ta uh, talents into the hands of God. And God has a way of multiplying that beyond our own abilities. When you pray, God has a way of doing something beyond all that you can ask or even dream of. It's called kingdom math. We think in terms of addition and subtraction, but God thinks in terms of multiplication. Now, part of what I love about this story in John 6 is that the hero is this little boy. Now, I know, the hero is Jesus, always. I get that. But the supporting actor in the story is this little boy without a name. And what it tells me is that there is a God who loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Can I just ask you this morning, do you ever feel incredibly ordinary? Do you ever feel incredibly average? Listen to what Paul wrote to the, his friends in Corinth. He said, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So here's the deal. God loves to use ordinary people like you and me. Our job is simply to dedicate ourselves and to surrender what we have back to God, even if all we have is a bag lunch of five loaves and two fish. And what we do is we dedicate ourselves. We say, God, it's all from you. It's all for you. Take it. I'm putting it back in your hands. And God does some pretty amazing things. You may feel average. You may feel insignificant. You might even feel unimportant at times. But I want you to know, friend, you are invaluable and irreplaceable. You are. There has never been, there will never be anyone else like you. That's not a testament to you. That's a testament to the one who created you. Okay, no one can serve where God created you to serve. No one can touch the people God has placed into your life. God created you. He gifted you with a unique circle of friends and unique gifts to use in a very unique way. And I am constantly astounded 
by the generous giving, by the sacrificial serving, and the way you bring your loaves and your fish and put it back into God's hands. And together as a church family, we say, God, it's yours. Let's see what you can do with this. That's five plus two equals 5,000, remainder 12. And if you don't hear anything else today, I hope you at least hear your pastor say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you so much. So as I said, it's been a very good year for us as a church family here at Lake City Community Church. God has blessed us so much. And while these numbers might be helpful to get a, a glimpse of the story and to give praise to God, they certainly don't tell the whole story. Because our mission isn't to fill up classes or small groups or give away a certain number of pounds of food. What, what is our mission, folks? And I want to review like we do each year in our vision sermon. Let's review our mission as a church family. Our mission is to make disciples. To make disciples. We call it the Great Commission. It's why we exist as a church. Listen to how Jesus put it in Matthew 28. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the mission of every church, including ours, to make disciples. That's the mission of every follower of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, one person at a time. But all of that begs the question, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Well, one day Jesus was asked a question that I think reveals the answer to that question really a test, and he was asked the question, what's the most important commandment of all? Remember that? Listen to his reply in Mark 12. Jesus answered, the foremost, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's the great Shema that, that Israel repeated every day. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall, here we go, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Jesus, as God, he could add another one to the one greatest commandment. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. By the way, that's called the great commandment, and it's the basis of our vision statement as a church, which is uh, printed on your bulletin. Our vision statement is printed on the bulletin every, every Sunday. You get this handed to you, our our vision is to be a Christ-honoring community that is passionate about loving God, loving one another, and loving the world that he's placed us in. So disciples are made one person at a time, one couple at a time, one family at a time. And that's going on all the time, but it's often sort of behind the scenes and not all that visible. But I want to give you an illustration of how that happens I want you to hear the story today of one of our families here at church, a re-engaged couple by the name of Mike and Felicia Class. And they have shared their testimony graciously with us by means of video. So we're going to watch their story at this time. Hi, my name is Felicia Class, and this is Michael Class, and we were asked to share our story. 
I grew up in a two-parent home, both loving parents. Um, I grew up going to church every Sunday in the Catholic Church. Um, I was raised in Lakewood. I've been here. I went to elementary school, junior high, high school here. Um, my biological dad left, left my mom when we were really young and uh, it was a, an abusive situation for me and two of my other brothers and her. And uh, I don't know, I, I started to get into some trouble and I wasn't uh, on the right path, I guess I could say. And then my mom met my stepdad and uh, I don't know, life kind of changed a little, I guess. I mean, it was, he, he kind of instilled ethics and morals into me. Uh, it's kind of strange that Mike and I have always lived in the same town since we were about seven years old. Uh, we went to the same junior high and high school, <laughs> but we never dated or were really friends at that time. She's but right. We never dated or hung out or anything until uh, a guy I used to play ball with invited me to come have a beer, and she happened to be in the bar singing karaoke, and then uh, we kind of uh, started talking. And we became very close yeah. friends immediately. Like we yeah. really enjoyed each other's company, and we saw each other every day. And then pretty soon we were dating. Yeah. Eventually we moved in together, and four years later we had a beautiful daughter, Liliana. So for the first 13 years or so of our relationship, we, uh, we kind of sort of just was playing house and uh, kind of just existing, mm -hmm. and going through the motions a little bit. We became stagnant and we weren't really going anywhere with our relationship or our lives and we had no communication between the two of us. I think uh, God was pretty much absent in our house. Like. So there were a lot of hard years of um, not knowing where to turn when we had disagreements and um, when we would fall on hard times or we would, would not get along, society and people like in popular culture would tell me it would be better to be a single mom and to give up on him than to try. So and then Felicia had basically given up on us and uh, I was going to move out looking for a place to stay and uh, you know kind of realized that I was actually losing everything that I really cared about and uh, I guess I hit rock bottoms and went looking for help in the church and I guess that's all I had left to look to and that's when I found the church. It, it was a process becoming fully aware and developing my faith, especially being raised in a different church all my life. I still had a lot of knowledge about God and about Jesus and about the Bible, but it wasn't until I came here that I fully felt that I could have a personal relationship with, with him, with Jesus. and that personal relationship provided the support that brought us to where we are now. Pastor David encouraged us early on to get married, um, to have our relationship blessed, but there was a lot that I needed to work out, we needed to work out between us yeah, before, we both, we both needed to work out before we were able to do that. However, on April 20th, 2018, the 14-year anniversary of our first date, we got married. They say if you give your life 
to Jesus and you have faith that he'll give you a brand new life. And I think I'm pretty much uh, evidence of that, I guess. We just decided to align our lives with God, with Jesus, and have faith. Brand new life, yeah. And we received a brand new life. Um, I'm grateful for Lake City Community Church and everybody that's affiliated with it. It's a, we've met nothing but wonderful, nice, generous people here and all the pastors. We like, uh, you know, we love you guys, man. It gives a real meaning to the words church family because everyone here behaves and treats each other like family. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> So thank you, Mike and Felicia, for sharing your story with us. What a great story you guys have. And as I said, every number has a name and every name has a story. And that's just one example of many that we could share, the work that God is doing sort of behind the scenes. So finally, let's uh, look forward now a little bit. Let's talk about some 2025 vision goals. We talk about goals a lot around here. See, we believe it honors God when we think about our lives and when we ask him to guide us in setting goals for the future, what he wants us to accomplish for his glory. In fact, in Isaiah 32.8, it says this. It says, but the noble man devises noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. In other words, God encourages his people to set goals, to, to strive to do noble things that will honor him. And that's what these 2025 goals are all about. Lord, if you should tarry a few more years... How can we best accomplish your mission of making disciples here and all over the world? What would you have us do? And I want to warn you, these are big goals. They're faith-sized goals uh, because they're going to require some kingdom math to accomplish, right? So let's talk about some vision goals. Goal number one is to complete the strategic planning process by the end of 2018, including a detailed discipleship path. That's something our leadership team is working on right now here at church, and I wanted to add that this year so you're aware that we're working on that, and you can pray for us. It's going to impact uh, our ministry for years to come. So please be praying with us about that, and we'll tell you more about that in uh, weeks ahead. Vision goal number two is a facility goal, to complete the facility expansion project, including the do-it-yourself projects by 2025. So God is bringing new people to us as a church family. We've grown like by 49% over the last eight years. And this is all about reaching the community that we live in. Okay, so part of that is having space to accommodate people. One year ago to this very weekend, we broke ground on our facility expansion. And by God's grace, we're expecting to be in that brand new worship center, that brand new space in approximately three months. Getting very excited about that, amen? I can't wait. So, uh, and when I talk about the do-it-yourself projects, I'm referring to the unfinished spaces that weren't part of the budget that we'll have to raise the money for and do ourselves later. That includes the uh, Promised Land classrooms and nursery and the coffee shop and the library and the enlarged offices. We also plan to tear down the community center across the parking lot that we own and uh, build a new food bank and community outreach center there, and we'll share more about those dreams another day. Vision goal number three is a missions goal. And the goal is to have five unreached people group adoptions completed by the year 2025. 
So as a church, right now, we have something like 28 missionaries that we work with to spread the gospel locally, but also around the world. And I'm so thankful for each and every one of these faithful missionaries God's allowed us to partner with to fulfill the Great Commission. But in addition to that, about 11 years ago, the leadership team here began praying about a new strategy, which is called the adoption of unreached people groups. And we began praying about that, and we adopted an unreached people group in West Africa called the Tamajic people of Niger. And over the last 10 years, we've sent out two families to serve in Niger, the Greys and the Dorigas. We've also begun partner relationships with the Bankies and the Foxes and the Waltons and the Sowers, and with a Tamajic evangelist named Ishaya. And that's Ishaya there in the red shirt, sitting around with some Tamajic friends, and I think it looks like uh, maybe Ralph and Jan Banky are sitting there with him. And um, <clears throat> that's a pretty typical... A Tamajic desert camp setting. That's, that's what they do. Well, our leadership team then, led by our, our global missions team, decided this past year it was time to adopt another unreached people group to focus on a, a new one. And so this past year, we identified the, the area of Dagestan in the North Caucasus and three people groups abbreviated with K-A-N, and I'll explain that in a minute, Okay. So the North Caucasus, here's a map of this area of southern Russia. And Dagestan is the gold area there on the far right along the Caspian Sea. It's the eighth largest Russian territory. And the missiologists have identified it as the third most strategic missionary area to reach in the world. Most strategic to reach and actually most difficult to work in. Well, last May... Lake City sent a team of four people on a prayer and vision team there to see the area with our own eyes, to meet the partners that we're looking at uh, identifying to work with there. Here's a photo of our team, some of the team uh, in the city of Durbent, looking out over the city there. Here's the entire team standing with their driver who's in the light blue shirt there, so he's not from Lake City, but he's a partner. And they're standing in southern Dagestan there in front of that, that river, what, I think is that, what that is. Anyway, we've identified three people groups in Dagestan that we're praying for, and I'm inviting you to join us if you haven't started already. The K stands for the Kumik, the A for the Akin, and the N for the Nogai peoples of Dagestan, each uniquely different people groups and languages. So please join us in praying for them. Vision goal number four is an attendance goal. And it is that by 2025, we'll see an average of 1,000 people here in our worship services spread out over three worship services. So, see, we're not just interested in reaching the farthest ends of the world, but our own community as well. I don't know if you realize it, but the United States is actually the fourth largest unreached country in the world today. That's amazing if you think about it. Two years ago, the Barna Research Group reported that the Seattle-Tacoma region is the seventh most unreached community or metropolitan area in the United States. In other words, there's only six other metropolitan areas in America with a higher percentage of people not going to church. So we have our work cut out for us at home, too. Okay, that's one of the reasons why we take evangelism so seriously. And one of the, our vision goals is to do all we can to reach our own community, which is what this one is really about. Okay, so we've stated 
the goal, with God's help, we will serve an average of 1,000 people in these three worship services each weekend. Not because we want to have a big church, but because we desire to be faithful stewards of the gospel. We need to reach the unreached that live right around us. And by the way, a couple of thoughts are included in this goal. When we complete the new worship center, we're going to be able to accommodate up to 1,000 people, even a little bit more, in just three worship services. Our intent is to only keep three worship services because it's so much easier on our staff and our volunteers. And then rather than adding a fourth worship service when we fill up, our goal, our prayer is that we'll be able to send out a small group of people to start a new congregation somewhere else in the Puget Sound area. And that's our vision goal number five. It's a church planning goal that by 2025, we'll see two or three new churches or extension campuses planted. We've been talking about doing this since uh, back in, in 2010, planning more churches in our region. We desperately need more churches. And I wish we had the time to unpack all the reasons why this is uh, the way to go. But number one, if you look at the book of Acts, you see this is absolutely biblical. The model that we've been given is to start new churches. And secondly, studies have shown that the very most effective way today to reach unchurched people is through starting new churches. So a few months ago, I was driving home on I-5 from Oregon, and I was listening to the radio, and this Forbes business report came on. And the subject was the 10 fastest growing cities in America over the past year. Did you know that the Seattle metro area is the second fastest growing metropolitan area in the United States? Well, if you're on I-5 much or in Seattle much, you, you know that. Okay, that's probably not a surprise, but... What did surprise me was they also listed Tacoma Lakewood. That's the 10th fastest growing metro area in America right now, according to Forbes magazine. So we live in a mission field, friends. We are strategically placed in one of the neediest areas of America, both fastest growing and most unchurched. Plus, add to that that we're the home to one of the larger military bases in the nation. So we have a great opportunity right here at home. We're, God has strategically placed us right where we are for major, major impact. So listen, as long as people living around us don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, God wants us to grow because he wants us to reach them. All right, that's our 2025 vision. So, we're praying for very big things, great things. Not because we're anybody great, but because we have a great God and his command to us is to reach the world for him. Well, let's talk about some action steps as I wrap up. Four next steps. Number one, I will commit myself to Christ's mission of making disciples. I'd love you to make that decision today. Because if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, you have a commission from Christ to make disciples. Join Christ in this mission of making disciples. And I challenge you today to make that conscious decision today. Find somebody to pour your life into. Ask someone to disciple you or both. And if you're not sure where to get started with that, jot a note on your communication card today. We would love to help you figure that out. Next step number two is I will pray that we reach these vision goals and for God to use me. 
The most important thing that you and I can do is pray. So please pray consistently for our church and for our leadership. And please also pray that God will show you how you fit into this vision. How you have a role in this vision. Will you commit yourself to pray about this? How about taking the sermon notes that that are in your bulletin today and put them in your Bible at home so when you read your Bible, it reminds you to pray about these vision goals. Here's next step three. I will faithfully invest in the vision of Lake City through my time, talents, and treasure. You see, it's one thing to understand the vision of our church, but the next step is to take part in reaching the vision, to do your part. And I want to challenge you to decide to do that as well. And that means investing in the vision through faithfully giving of your time and talents and treasure. God is simply looking for faithfulness. You don't have a lot. You don't have to feel like I've got all these great gifts or I've got a lot of time. But if you will give the little that you have, God will reward you for that. And friends, someday, someday each of us who know Christ as Savior will stand before the judgment seat of Christ You will give an account of your life. And my prayer for you and for me is that we will hear the Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Finally, next step number four is I will love Jesus Christ first and foremost. I will love Jesus Christ first and foremost. So this past week, the Kennington family enjoyed four days of vacation down at Cannon Beach And God used it personally in my own life to challenge me. The speaker was speaking from Revelation 1 to 3, the letters of Jesus Christ to the churches. And I was especially challenged by the letter that he wrote to the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, as I pictured it at least, is a lot like our church. Very busy church. They had a lot of things to thank God for, honestly. In fact, Jesus commended them for their hard work. And he commended them for their doctrinal purity. So some good things happening. They were were working hard for Jesus. That's check number one. Uh, They were carefully watching for false teachers. Check number two. But then Jesus gave them a rebuke. And this is what what Jesus wrote to them. But I have this against you that you have lost your first love. And it was a reminder to me how easy it is when we get busy with life, even busy with ministry, how easy it is to lose our first love, to really lose our focus on Jesus Christ or, our, or having him as our first love. And my prayer for each one of you as well as for myself is that we would be true to our vision, to be passionate first and foremost about loving Christ with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for that. Let me pray over us and about that right now. So would you bow with me? Let's close in prayer. Father, as we've heard these things and thought about the area of the country that we live in, God, we pray for a spiritual awakening right here, right here in Washington, right here in Lakewood and Pierce County and King County and Thurston County. God, we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Please do that, Lord. Please begin with us. Please fire us up for what you want to do. 
And God, I pray for any that are right here with us today that have never taken that first step of faith in Christ. Friend, if that's you, I invite you to receive Jesus today. Just silently pray this prayer in your heart of hearts and say something like this to God. God, I want your forgiveness. I, I repent of my sins. I turn to you. I put my faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection for me today. I want a personal relationship with you, God, and I trust Christ to have that today. Lord, thank you for the privilege of knowing you and serving you. Thank you for the privilege of being a church family together called Lake City Community Church. And Father, I pray that you would help us be the church you want us to be. I pray that you would help each one of us to know that what we bring and offer to you can make a difference in someone else's life. We dedicate ourselves and all we have to you. And so Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for your favor on our church family. And we pray, Father, that the best is yet to come for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.